Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water shall thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water which I shall give him shall never thirst forever. The water which I shall give him shall become in him a fountain of water springing up into eternal life. As they make music, they sing, all my fountains are in you.
Father, we just thank you for the gift of your Son. We thank you for your everlasting supply of mercy and of goodness to us. And I just pray that we would be distracted from nothing right now other than your praise and worship your name. In Jesus' name, amen.
rejoice with you being here today. And I know that uh, there's many mothers here. In fact, why don't we just all be seated just for a moment because right now what we want to do is, um, is recognize the moms here this morning. And so if you are a mother, why don't you stand to your feet and let us honor you today and hopefully uh, you'll be taken to lunch, given flowers, something today that would be very special to you. And uh, we do want to welcome everybody here. And we have a special service for you this morning. In just a few minutes, we're going to have a parent dedication time. And we're going to have a special message for Mother's Day as well. And uh, didn't you enjoy already this uh, praise team up here? All ladies praise team. They did such a wonderful job. And um, I just want to just uh, call your attention to the welcome card that's inside your bulletin today. If you take this out and fill it out on the front. In just a few minutes, if you're our guest, we want you to place this in the offering plate when it's passed so we can have a record of your visit, start getting to know you a little bit. But also, all of our members here, we have uh, on the back here, we have prayer requests, we have responses to the message every week that we read through. And we faithfully take your prayer requests to the Lord. And so, in order to do that, and having you to respond to the message today, it's going to be very quick because we're going to have the invitation and go right into the offering. And that's why we ask you to fill out the front of the card now. And so uh, as we get ready here for parent-child dedication time, why don't you stand to your, re-stand to your feet, if you don't mind, and turn around and let's greet one another. get you out of here by lunch if you'll cooperate. Got all day. Got all day. Well, see, here's the guy that's to blame right here for these long sermons. He just keeps me going. Uh, we have a real special time for you this morning as we uh, always try to do during uh, Mother's Day, and that is a parent-child dedication. We'll be dedicating some parents and children during this service and also in the one to come. And uh, let me just share with you what parent-child dedication is not. It's not a time where uh, we are setting aside the children and saying, well, now these children have received salvation. They've been born again. Um, the Bible teaches that a person must receive Christ into their heart as an individual, that they would uh, personally trust Christ. And it's a, it's a personal decision that everyone needs to make one way or, of course, the other. So what we're doing this morning is these parents are coming and saying they want to dedicate themselves before the church body to raise their ch child up and their children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And then we as a church recognize this, and we want to join together with them as partners in raising up these children that one day they will come to a place in their life where they receive Christ into their heart. Uh, Debbie Valley is our preschool director. She's going to be uh, introducing the families today, and my wife and I will be greeting them. Thank you. Pastor and Pam and church family, our first family we're greeting this morning, we have Abigail Elizabeth Johnson. She was born October 21st, 2015. Her parents are Cliff and Laura, and standing with them are her big brothers and sister, 
Anna Grace, Samuel, and Lydia. All right. Well, this is Abigail, and her name means cherished of God. And the supporting life verse comes from Zephaniah 317, where the Bible says, The Lord your God in your midst is a mighty one. <clears throat> we'll say, He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. Zephaniah 317. And we're going to let you read now the end of those scriptures. All right. And uh, we just rejoice and serve this family. They just dedicate some time. We'll be praying over them in just a few moments. Next, we have a family with two sisters, the Putnams. This is going to be like rounding them up. Here they come. <coughs> yeah, round we them up first, right? We have Violet Callie Putnam, born hey, October again. 28, 2014, and Lily Anna Putnam, born January 9, 2013, with Mom Kelly and Dad Sean. Okay, now this is Violet, is that right? This, this is Lily, and this is Violet. Okay, Violet, we're just going to start with you, okay, sweetheart? Um, your name means humble one. I can see that right now. says, humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you, James 4.10. Uh, can I give you that? Would you like to have that? Let me put this up here. Okay. And this is Lily. She wants to get up and sing for us here on stage. And Lily, your name means shining light. And a supporting life verse comes from Zechariah 2.10. Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, and behold, I am coming, and I will dwell in your midst. Would you like to have that, sweetheart? It's a gift. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. You know? All right, we're going to Next, we have Nolan Ryan Ritchie. He was born December 31st, 2014. His um, parents are Ryan and Carly, and standing with them is big brother Tucker. All right. Well, this is Nolan right here, all dressed up in a nice suit. Man, you're looking sharp. And a supporting life verse for you with your name meaning noble one. And a uh, supporting life verse, Isaiah 32, 8. But he who is noble plans noble things, and on noble things he stands. And that's a good verse, Nolan. family this morning is the Hausers. We have Isaiah Scott Hauser. He was born June 22nd, 2015. Mom and dad are Dale and Danielle, and standing with them today are big brother and sister Josiah and Brielle. Okay, Isaiah, your name means God of salvation. Let's get a good look at you here. Got a sharp suit on, yeah. Okay. It says, behold, God is my salvation. I will trust. I will not be afraid, for the Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. Isaiah 12 and verse 10. All right. Here we go. All right, I know that you're going to want to join me right now as a church body, and uh, we're going to be praying over these families right now. Let's pray together. Father, 
We thank you so much for these coming forward today and what they're saying. They're saying that we are dedicated to Christ ourselves. We want our children dedicated to him as well. And so one day as they're learning in this church and they're learning at home, they will one day come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord and then grow up in him that they could be dynamic disciples of Jesus Christ. And Lord, we pray to that end. We pray that we as a church body can be their support. And I pray, God, for each parent here, you would give them the wisdom that they need in order to uh, grow up their children in you. We'll pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's give these a round of applause, shall we? There we go. You as well. Have you ever done one of these interviews over, over the camera before? No. Well, let me tell you a little bit about the job to get started with. It's not just um, a job. It's sort of probably the most important job. Uh, the title that we have going right now is Director of Operations. This job requires that you must be able to work standing up most or really all of the time, uh, constantly on your feet, constantly bending over, constantly exerting yourself, a high level of stamina. That's a lot. For how many, like... For how many hours? Uh, 135 hours to unlimited hours a week. It's basically 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Is, is that even legal? Oh, yeah, of course, yeah. Okay, yeah. so like no lunch? You can or... have lunch, but only when the associate is done eating their lunch. Uh, I think that's a little intense. No, no not possible. That's crazy. You must be able to wear several hats. Associate needs constant attention. You, if you had a life, we'd ask you to sort of give that life up. No vacations. In fact, Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's, and holidays, the workload is going to go up, and we demand that with with a happy disposition. <laughs> That's almost uh, a very, very sick, twisted joke. Worry about when there's time to sleep or... Oh, no time to sleep. That's inhumane. That's That's very insane. Also, let's cover the salary. The position is going to pay absolutely nothing. Excuse me? No. Nobody's doing it for free. Yeah, pro bono. <laughs> Completely for free. <laughs> no. What if I told you there's someone that actually currently uh, holds this position right now? Billions of people, actually. Who? Moms. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Moms. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> oh! <laughs> And they meet every requirement, oh, don't wow. they? Oh, my God. Moms are the best. Yeah, there's no pay. They're 24 hours. They're always there. Now I'm thinking about my mom. Yeah, and what are you thinking about her? I'm thinking about all those nights and everything. Thank you so much for everything you do. I know it doesn't seem like I appreciate all of it, but I definitely do. So, Mom, I want to say thank you for everything that you've done. I love you very much. You've been there through thick and thin. My mom is just awesome. She's awesome.
together. Father, we come to you in prayer in the name of Jesus, and we thank you, Lord, for the service already today and, and uh, how marvelous um, you have moved in our service, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for these, um, this great choir and orchestra and singers, and then, Lord, thank you for the, the families that came forward today as a testimony to us. Now, God, I pray that you would speak to our hearts. God, I pray that you would just take this message right now and just use it in such a way that it would be maybe even different to everyone here, depending on where they are, that you would speak to them, each one of us, in our own unique way. So we'll pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want us to take our Bibles this morning, and we want to turn to a, a, a familiar passage for some of you, and that's back in the book of Deuteronomy. That's uh, uh, way back in the Old Testament, one of the first books of the Bible, as you turn in there uh, in your Bible uh, with me. And Deuteronomy chapter 6, beginning uh, in just a few moments with verse 4, and the title of the message is Passing the Faith Along. Now, <clears throat> at a memorial service for her mother on May 10th, 1908, Anna Jarvis gave a carnation, her mother's favorite flower, to everyone in attendance. Within the next few years, the idea of honoring mothers caught on, and on May 9th, 1914, President Woodrow Wilson declared the second Sunday in May to be Mother's Day. And so we are experiencing and celebrating our 102nd Mother's Day today all across America. And motherhood, as you saw in the video just a few moments ago, it is true, I guess, that uh, first you're a mother and then you die, you know? I mean, it kind of goes on forever, doesn't it? It kind of really never ends. Sometimes with dads, things kind of have a cutting off point, but with moms, it just keeps going on and on and on. And I know that many of you here today are maybe struggling because uh, you would like to be mothers, but God has not blessed you in that particular way. And others here are struggling in the fact that you've done, you feel like the best you can with what you had, the information that you had as you were raising up your children, but you know they're not where they need to be. My mother uh, passed away about a year and a half ago, and I often heard her said, you know, the, the one thing that she wanted more than any other thing in her life was that her children would meet her one day in heaven. And I think it's true what uh, 1 John teaches us, where it says, or rather 3 John, uh, verse 4, I have no greater joy than this, to hear my children walking in the truth. And so we could cover a lot of different subjects today, and we have uh, in times past for Mother's Day and Father's Day, but here's what I want to do this morning. I want us to look into the Bible and, and ask the question, how do we pass our faith along to the next generation? I remember watching a tele religious television program actually years ago, and a guy was being, a man was being interviewed as he wrote a book on this, and he said the hardest thing that we have in the Christian life is to pass our faith along to the next generation, to hand down, as he put it, to hand down our faith. Now, God recognized this as well. It didn't catch God by surprise at all. In fact, in Deuteronomy chapter 5, we read that as they were about to go into the promised land, God gave them the Ten Commandments over again. He remembered them. He reviewed them with the nation of Israel. And then in verse 31 of chapter 5, he said this, but as for you, stand here by me, and I make <clears throat> that I may speak to you all the commandments and the statutes and the judgments 
that you shall teach them, and they may observe them in the land which I give them to possess. Then in chapter 6, he begins to elaborate on chapter 5 and verse 31. And in this passage, we're going to break it down in three ways. What, First of all, what do we pass along? What do we pass along? Secondly, how to do it. And thirdly, and, and very importantly, what is our aim? What is our end game? What is our goal in all of this? And know this, that in spite of the fact that there's peer pressure all around, in spite of the fact that you have the media to combat as you're raising up your children, know this, that you as a parent are the single greatest influence on your children, period. Now, all we're talking about is influence, and so how do you influence them even though they make their own decisions? And sometimes you cannot, you cannot corral that. Just like we're trying to corral the kids up here this morning. Sometimes you just can't do that. But you can influence them. And so let's look at it together. What do we pass along? First of all, I want us to look at verse 4. It says, Hear, O Israel. Now, when it says the word hear, it's, this is the reason this passage is called the Shema. It means to hear. And it was the passage that was quoted most often in Old Testament times and even today by Orthodox Jews because they, they memorize this and they quote it sometimes every day of their life. And so it means to hear with the idea of obeying. And so keep in mind, he's already gone over the law, and now we come to a place where he says, now I want you to take the law of God, and I want you to pass it down from one generation to the next, lest they forget me, which he talks about later in the chapter. And so that's his goal. He says, hear, O Israel. He says, the Lord your God is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And we know from Jesus' speaking, he said, the two greatest commandments, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second one is like the first, love your neighbor as yourself. And that really encapsulates the entire law. All ten commandments plus the rest of the law as well. And so right here he's saying the goal of all of us is to teach our children to love God. And you say, well, how hard can that be? Well, it can be pretty hard. And when they're small, maybe it's easy. Because as they're growing up, they see how much you love them. They, they look at you and think, well, this is sort of like God. It's really the, you know, the father figure and the mother figure, really the first figures of God in a child's life. But then what happens? What happens to them is the same thing that's happened to you and to me. Life happens. And you have all these trials in life. And then they're growing up and they pray to be popular. Or they're praying for this particular boyfriend or girlfriend. Or they're praying for a grade, praying for... Uh, God to intervene somehow in their college life, and on and on it goes through life with disappointment after disappointment after disappointment. And then a parent passes away, or, or maybe the grandparent, a favorite grandparent before that. And they look at life and they say to themselves, well, look, how in the world can I expect to really love God when all these things in life are happening to me? I have a friend that uh, went through a, a situation in life just a few years ago, and he was a deacon in his church. He was following the Lord. He was, um, in fact, someone I could talk to, even, even though he's not a pastor. I could talk to him about the things of God because he had a really good relationship with him, and he was very active in his church, very supportive of everything that's going on. 
But things begin to happen to him all at one time in his life. His mother had a stroke and got sick, and she got to a place where she could not remember things, and then she would go off in in a, a temper tantrum, and nobody could control her. They had to finally place her someplace where someone could take care of her. His dad developed Alzheimer's in the early stages. His, his wife uh, hurt herself, and so she was in a cast for a while. And so he was doing everything together, everything. And he just thought to himself, God, I've served you, I've loved you, I've done the right things for you, and this is what happens to me. And when I talked to him about this, he said, look, he finally, after all the things that he listed down the road, he said simply this. He said, I know that God is supposed to be my heavenly father. I know that. I know that. Intellectually, I know that. But let me tell you something, Dwayne. He says, I think I treat my kids a whole lot better than he treats his. Now, how do you combat that? I'm going to be preaching a message next week that's going to introduce a book I wrote on that kind of attitude and that kind of desperation called Overcoming Spiritual Vertigo. I'll be preaching that next week, so I invite you to come back and invite a friend. But he was having difficulty in this. So you say, well, that's kind of a little bit extreme. Not really. He was just voicing, I think, what all of us feel at some point in our life. God, why me? How do you teach your kids, your children, to trust him and love him in the midst of of all the world's trials coming down on them sometimes at once. Well, we do three things, three things. Verse 6, it says this, These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand And they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gate. Verse 6 especially tells us what we need to do. We need to teach our children to know God, to know him. Because without knowing him, you can't trust him. Without trust, you're not going to worship and you're not going to really love him. Because to know someone is to trust them more. And love, or rather trust, is the very basis of to love in our life. So we need to teach uh, our children to know him. How are we going to do that? We're going to teach them the word of God. We're going to open up the scriptures with them. We're going to make sure they're in a church that backs us up and teaches the word of God. James Dobson, who many of you remember as really being the, the guru of our last generation in raising children in the Christian life, he said this, if you remain neutral, Chances are your children will grow up to reject God. Now you think about that. With everything they have coming into the world, with all the peer pressure they have coming upon them, he says basically as a child psychologist, if we remain neutral, they just say, oh, you know, let them decide for themselves. We're not going to indoctrinate them at all. He says chances are your children will grow up to reject God. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 3.16, Paul says, all scripture is inspired by God. And profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. They need to understand that the Bible is true. It is the word of God. John Dickerson in one of his books says that the millennial generation is leaving the church. And unlike other generations, 
you know, we keep saying, well, they'll come back, they'll come back, they'll come back. Every generation in the college years and the young adult years, and, you know, they kind of leave a little bit, and then they have children, they come back to church. And many of them, I believe, will. Many of them. But many of them, he says, will not because they simply don't believe it anymore. They just don't believe it. We haven't indoctrinated, you might say, our children on the fact the Bible's the Word of God. It's unique in its presentation in all 66 books, confirmed in archaeology, grounded in history, accurate in its prophecy. And by the way, the Christian faith is the only one with prophecy. Lasting in its value, and we think to ourselves, well, what value does it really have? Well, think about our generation for just a moment. My generation was raised up. And we were raised up in such a way that we were really a little bit more center of attention than my dad's generation and your dad and mom's generation. And so as we've grown up, we've been difficult. It's been difficult to satisfy us. Not impossible. It really isn't. But kind of difficult. That's the reason why we have so much uh, complaining going on in every aspect of life. We look at things as more perfectionist. Well, I know the way things ought to be, and things aren't this way for me, and so I want to change them here or complain about it there. It's, it's difficult to satisfy us. But in the generation that follows, the millennial generation, and everything that I read, and I'm just going by what I read, not by personal experience, but everything that I read, every statistic, every uh, survey, the millennial generation is becoming almost impossible to satisfy because we, we've given them everything that their hearts desire, and we stay with them. We kind of like a sort of like a helicopter parent. And now, as as we've often joked around when they were growing up, "Oh, kids, you're king." We saw nothing wrong with that whatsoever. You know, just build up their self-esteem. I know that you can do it. You know, you can believe in yourself. You can do anything you want. The problem is they don't know what they want. They don't know what they want to do. Because we have not taught them the sure foundation of life. Listen to what Joshua 1.8 says. The book of the law, this book of the law, shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous. Then you will have success. You want to know how to make your child successful. The very first step, the foundational step to it all, is to teach them that the Bible is the Word of God. It can be proven in all these other things, plus, as we'll get to in just a moment, the resurrection of Christ. What we've been preaching on uh, prior to this series, or prior to these last couple of messages, we've been preaching on for five or six weeks. The resurrection of Jesus Christ proves that Jesus Christ died on the cross. His blood that was spilled was enough for our payment, for the covenant, for our sins forever and forever, and the resurrection authenticated all that. So that's the very foundation of life. Now, once you teach them to know the Lord and you begin to teach them to know the Lord, then they'll be able to trust him. And that's the second thing we need to teach our children. We need to teach them to trust him. Notice it says in verse 6, these words. Verse 10, then it shall come about when the Lord your God brings you into the land which he swore to your fathers, he swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you great and splendid cities which you did not build, and houses full of all good things which you did not fill, and home cisterns which you did not dig, vineyards and olive, olive trees which you did not plant, and you, and you eat and are satisfied. 
He says, look, he says, watch out, verse 12, that you don't forget God. What he's saying here is this. It's, it's vital that we teach our children to trust the Lord. Now, Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, is really written to Hebrew Christians, and that's very important because the book of Hebrews is really commenting on what was going on back during the first few books of the Bible, the first uh, five books of the Bible. It's really kind of uh, uh, on top of it, not really a commentary, but just sort of adding to what was in the Old Testament and helping to explain it to us. He says in Hebrews eleven six, and without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is rewarder of those who seek him. I shared with you last week the hardest thing that I have to do in life every single day in my life is to live that verse. Now, you think about it for just a moment. If we live that verse, how our life would take a different turn altogether. It would just be so different. If we believe that if we seek him, he will reward us. Don't you think that will make a difference in how, how we stress out in life over things? How we worry about things in life? What if this? What if this? What if this? What if this? Don't you think it would change the actions that we take? If all I had to do when I worried about something, when my friend was, was thinking to himself, God has just abandoned me. No. Am I seeking the Lord? That's the question. Am I seeking the Lord? He is going to take care of me because he never leaves us. He never abandons us. He would never let us down. But are we seeking him? And therefore, if we are, then we can trust him that he is, he is going to reward those who seek him. But that's a struggle. And that's why it takes 18, 21, 25 years to learn this type of thing. And even then, we learn it every day. Love is built on trust. And so therefore, whoever is on the throne of our life and we really trust that and we place our confidence in is going to make a difference in our lives. Just think about it. Hebrews eleven six. If we avoided, that, if we believe that, we could avoid the sin that really hurts us. We would honor our parents <clears throat> because that's a promise in the Bible. We will not sacrifice our future on the altar of the immediate. We would not cower under peer pressure. We would know and have a hope. And we've said before. How you see your future will determine how you live your life now, right? And so we're going to have a hope of the future. We're going to have a hope of the afterlife. But this life is not all there is. Now, my friend was in circumstances with his mother, with his father, with his wife, with his job, all these things coming. And every single one of those things were true in his life, everything. But it wasn't the whole truth. You see, we see in our circumstances truth. Sometimes it's not even truth. Sometimes it's just total speculation on our part. We begin to dream up things in our mind, and Satan begins to put things in there over one little instance, and, and then, all, then all of a sudden everything breaks loose, everything's wrong, but sometimes our circumstances are true. They're just not the whole truth. Only God knows the whole truth. Only God knows the future. Only God can see every single circumstance and how it's leading to something else that he would reward those who are seeking him. So we look and we, we place our faith in him. We trust him. We teach, God, teach our children to know him. Therefore, they will be able to trust him. And finally, they will be able to worship him. As we look at this passage 
of Scripture. Uh, we can find in verses 13 and 14, he says, You shall fear only the Lord your God, and you shall worship him and swear by his name. You shall not follow after other gods, any of the gods of the peoples who surround you. Everywhere there was a god. For example, in Egypt, e Egypt just has thousands of gods. The Canaanites, the, the place where they were going for the promised land, hundreds and even thousands of gods. Everywhere. He says, don't, don't bow the knee to these gods. Don't sacrifice to these gods. Don't worship these gods. And we look at what he's saying here, and it captures what he's trying to teach all of us in the Ten Commandments. See, the Ten Commandments really are about idolatry, about putting who's on the throne. The first one just comes right out and says it. Don't put any other gods before me. The last one had to do, has to do with coveting. Don't cover, covet your neighbor's uh, yard or house or wife or children. Don't do, don't do any coveting. Why? Because as you covet them, you're putting them on the throne of your life. So really, the whole Ten Commandments are about idolatry. The first one, the last one, talk about it. The other eight modify it. And so he's talking here about worshiping God and worshiping God alone. Putting God on the throne of our life. We look and we realize that what has happened in our world and how difficult it is to really help people along. But part of the problem that we wrestle with is that we don't know how to get the message across. But this passage gives us that instruction. And so as we look at it really quickly, I want us to see in our second point this morning, how do we pass the faith along? And I'm going to give you three things real quick. First of all, there's instruction. I've already read verses 7 through 9 where he says, as you go, as you go, instruct them. And so, yes, you do need to take them to a church that, that really teaches you the word of God so you can be a better parent, but also a, a church also that teaches the word of God so they will help you get the word of God into your children. Here at our, our church, we've developed a philosophy of finding out what is going on in the world, what they're going to be teaching in school one year that is, has a wor worldview that is more secular and then we're going to teach them the Christian worldview the year before. And so you, you need this type of thing. But you also need to teach them in the home as well. This Bible is a book of salvation. It's true. The, the major theme of the Bible is salvation. But it's also um, wisdom and how to live. It's guidelines and wisdom on how to live the Christian life. And so we take this word, we impart this word into their life. Now, I know, and I've read a lot of material, I'm sure you already know, that it seems like, seems like, the higher a person goes up in education, the more apt they are to deny God. And to some extent, that's true. And so people think, well, the smarter you are, then, the, the more you're going to see the Bible as a fable, myth, fiction, and you're going to be able to live your life on your own. <clears throat> but we've discovered... When you look at things, it's not so much how high you go up in ed education, but it's what you're taught. And if you are in a secular institution and you're taught the Bible is not the word of God, and it is fiction, and there's, there's got to be an explanation somehow to the resurrection, 
and so forth and so on. And all the religions of the world, all of them are the same, and they're not by a long shot. But they're taught that. If you're taught that, you're going to have a tendency to believe that. Listen to me very carefully. Okay, I'm going to make a statement here that is so true. Everybody has a good argument or at least a convincing argument in what they believe. Everybody. Otherwise, nobody would believe it. Do you understand what I'm saying? You say, well, how in the world does a person fall into terrorism? How do they fall into ISIS? How do they fall into a cult? How do they fall into one of those things where they just live out on a farm and they're, they're, uh, they're just uh, manipulated by a leader? How in the world do they do that? Because everybody has a convincing argument, and Satan is involved also in spiritual warfare. And so, therefore, you just can't say, well, I'm just going to read this material, and I'm just going to find out for myself whether it's true or not. Everybody has a good argument. And you come down to the fact of the same thing over and over and over again. Why do you believe the Bible's true? Why do you believe the Bible's true? Why do you believe it? Because I want to. That's not, a, that's not an explanation. Because my parents believed it. That's not an explanation. Why do you believe the Bible's the word of God? Because Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And because he rose from the dead and died for my sins, he, ha he has, has more than enough power to give me a Bible that is perfect without error so I can live my life in faith and confidence in following him. That's it. It's the resurrection of Christ that shows us the way. Well, we need instruction, but we also need application. They need to see the connection between the story and the life. There needs to be more. We need to study things like Daniel and Lion's Den. But your children need to know what that means. And David fighting Goliath, cute story for all the kids. But it's more than a cute story. It's a lesson of courage and faith. They need to see the connection. They need to see, as they said here in verses 7 and 8, as you go, as you go, as you go, you teach them the application of the word of God. I remember when my kids were growing up, <clears throat> my wife and I would often, uh, you know, something would be on television, and, you know, it's not something that we thought it would be maybe, and, and maybe they, it was a cartoon with witches and goblins and all this kind of stuff, and so we would explain it to them. Well, I kept doing this when they got a little bit older, and when they were young, they were listening, but when they got older, you know, we'd come out of a movie or something like, Dad, please, don't ruin the movie for us by analyzing all that, but I ruined it for them anyway. You know, but you teach them everything that, you, that, that they go through, every trial that they go through, how the word of God applies to their life. Then thirdly, demonstration. You've got instruction, application, demonstration. Children adopt the values of parents that are most important to the parents. Now, you have the greatest influence on your children's lives, period. Nobody, nobody has an influence as they're growing up like you do as a parent. And yet, they don't always grasp what we're teaching unless, in fact, usually they don't, unless the demonstration is there, unless you're living the example. Now, I'm not talking about perfection, but I'm talking about integrity and living the life that you need to live. And put them priorities where they need to be. Your children copy you, even from 
a two- or a three-year-old. They're watching every move you're making. They're copying you. Uh, my wife and I were babysitting our, our two uh, granddaughters that live here, and um, I had thought I had broken my hand. I actually broke it back in college in a, uh, a, a sport, and um, so I thought I'd broken my hand again. It was hurting. In fact, I, a couple of Sundays up here, I would go like this, and my hand would just ache, you know, and, and so I thought, I, I've broken it for sure. I've broken it. So I, I was, we were on the floor at home, and I, I pushed myself up like this. Now, I used to do it like this, but I've got too much weight for my fingers to hold, and so uh, I do it like this. I just kind of push up, and when I did, it just pushed that knuckle in, and I'm telling you, it was excruciating pain. And I just went, oh, and my three-year-old granddaughter came up to me, patted me on the back. I'm, I'm on the floor. Just like, you know, I'm sitting on the floor. She came up and said, there, there, Papa. <clears throat> Calm down. Don't yell. And don't tweak out. I'm here to help you. Now, what she did she took everything that she's ever heard somebody say, say to her and put it all into one and gave me the word. And it was worth hurting myself just to, to, to hear that. It's so cute. So, but listen, your children, if you were to bring them in here, your preschoolers, three, four-year-olds, into this worship service, they would begin to worship like you worship. If you weren't paying attention, they wouldn't pay attention. But I've been in places before where people raise their hands and, and, the, and the little boys and little girls will look up and they start raising their hands. They start closing their eyes. Why? Because they're copying what you're doing. They're valuing what you are valuing. Now, the history of our culture is like this, folks. World War II, and I don't want to pick on anybody in World War II, my parents' generation, the greatest generation of all, of all time in America. But at the same time, as churches, we were <coughs> somewhat legalistic. We would add to the Bible prior to World War II, and people felt oppressed. So when they got out from World War II, they said, hey, we're going to live more like a little bit more freedom. We're going to have more freedom. I mean, we have a victory. We have a reason to celebrate our victory. And things begin to creep into the church that nobody talked about. You know the old joke, how do you tell the difference between a Baptist and Methodist in, the, uh, in, in life? Well, the Methodists will say hello to one another in the liquor store. It was kind of like that. Let that sink in just a minute. And then the sexual revolution came along in the 60s. And it was a rebellion, not so much against the Bible, but it was a rebellion. If I can say this, please understand we need to face ourselves. It was a rebellion of some hypocrisy that was going on before that in their parents' generation. Living one way, saying one thing, and then not living it out. It was rebellion, and the sexual revolution is still taking place today. And so this is going on, and teenagers, even today, smell hypocrisy a mile away. So what are you living? What are you teaching? We're not talking about perfection. We're talking about integrity. I'm not, if you're looking for a perfect parent as an example, you won't find him here. You just won't. And sometimes we've got to go to our kids and apologize for things because we messed up. But living a life, whatever you place your value on, not only in how you speak but how you live, is what your children are going to value. And so with all that, what's the goal? What's the end game with all this? 
when we teach them the word of God, when we teach them to know him and to trust him and to love him, and knowing that that's, that's going to make the biggest difference in their life by a long shot, it's the very foundation of it all. What's the end game? Notice in verse 2 of chapter 6, so that you and your son and your grandson might fear the Lord, your God, to keep all the statutes and his commandments, which I am commanding you all the days of your life, and that your days may be prolonged. Hey, it's even your grandson. Listen again to 3 John 4. Listen very carefully. I have no greater joy than this. What's the joy? Listen, to hear, to hear of my children walking in the truth. To hear of my children. Now, you can say, well, that's the teenage years when they're living it out in high school and college. But here, I believe, is a mother and a father looking back, even when they have grandkids, and hearing. Why are they just hearing about it rather than witnessing it sometimes themselves? Because they did their job. They did their job. Psalm 127, and I'm just going to throw this verse in because it's so good, says this. Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. How blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be ashamed when they speak with their enemies in the gate. The idea of this psalm is simply this. That we do God's project, God's way, God's going to bless. He says, let me give you an example of this family. He said, children are like arrows. They're not trophies. They're arrows. What do you do with an arrow? You send them out. Why is it that Third John is saying, I just consider it all joy when I hear about my children? Why is it that they're talking about the sons and the grandsons and, and passing the faith along from generation to the next generation to the next generation? Why? Because the aim goal is to mature your child to have their own faith with God, not yours. Not their own, their experiences like on the mission field and witnessing and sharing their, sharing their faith or leading a Bible. Not your faith, their faith. And when they have their faith, you send them out like arrows to be on their own. That's the goal. Be mature enough to send them out and to live for the Lord because they desire it not because you desire it, to live on their own so that they will, listen to me very carefully, they would have to depend on God and not you. You know, in the books that I'm reading, again, about the millennial generation, the same is true with us, and they would, they would admit that, is this. When we're, we need to be there for our children, I'm not saying that, but when we're there so much for our children and go to bat for our children all the time, they never learn to stand on their own. They will always be depending on us. And he said this about, one guy said this about the millennial generation. He said, if you're waiting, and this is a millennial pastor, but he says, if you're waiting for millennials to have a great need in their life to come to Christ, you're not going to find it very often. Why? Because they don't need God. They have us. 
You see, a person will not learn to depend on God until God is all they have to depend upon. The goal, send them out, and as hard as it is, and believe me, I, I have three grown children, as hard as it is, let them go. Send them out. Your job is complete. Send them out, at least in your heart, that they can do for the Lord what they need to do. And God can do that in their life as well. You are the greatest influence of your children, period. But it's only influence. Some of you are sitting here today and saying, I try to be that, that number one chair Christian, the one that's following the Lord, passionate for God. But boy, my children did not follow suit. You're the influence. You're not the decision maker. You're just not. And they have a choice in everything that they do. So I want to challenge you in two ways. Number one is what Abraham Lincoln said. In order to train, the Bible says in order to train up a child, or you train up a child in the way he should go, when he is old, he will not depart from it. Well, Abraham Lincoln said this. In order to train up a child in the way he should go, you must first walk that way yourself. Go that way yourself. And so I challenge you as a parent. Are you teaching your children? Intentionally teaching your children the word of God. Secondly, as you're teaching them, are you applying that? Thirdly, are you demonstrating that? So that they would learn to love God with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then my second challenge is this. You're sitting here this morning, and you know that your mom has been praying for you like forever. And they've done the best they could. Maybe if they had more information, they could have done better, but they did what they could with the information that they had. They've tried to be the influence in the life that you needed. What about you today? Would you honor your mom today? Would you honor Christ today? But most of all, would you place yourself in a position to be whole and successful by receiving Christ into your life? There are mothers that have come here today and will come in the second hour. And maybe they brought their children here or they're sitting somewhere here in this auditorium. And they're saying, oh God, God, please, let the pastor just say something, something that will wake them up. Oh, I just pray God the pastor would say something. And I'm not praying that. I'm praying that God would say something to you. Would God speak to your heart today? Would you allow him to draw you? Would you allow him to break your heart a little bit and just say, God, I'm just tired of going my own way. I want to put you on the throne of my life because you're the only one that's going to be on the throne of my life when I pray. I'm going to trust you. With heads bowed and eyes closed, that's the prayer of your heart today. I want to invite you today to pray and ask Jesus to come into your heart. And you can do so by praying this prayer right now silently as I pray along. It goes like this. Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for going to the cross and dying for my sins, for being resurrected on the third day to show me the truth, the life that you are. I repent of my sins. And most of all, I turn from being the Lord, the master of my own life, 
trust you and follow you. So would you come into my heart? Help me to follow you. Help me to trust you. Help me to love you more like you love me. In Jesus' name. Bowed heads bowed. If you prayed that prayer, we're going to have we're going to have an invitation, and we're going to have a couple of our staff members coming up here, and and uh, they're going to greet you in just a moment. But right now, as we bow, as we bow in a word of prayer, if you prayed that prayer to invite Christ into your heart, I want you to be able to get up out of your seat in just a moment, have the courage to say, "Hey, I'm starting a way a brand new life. I want to start today." One of our our pastors is leaning down here in the front. And you just come to them and say, I prayed that prayer with your pastor. And we'll help you through that. A whole new way of life. A new start. A brand new beginning. Everything wiped away. Clean slate. So why don't you start in the right way by getting some instruction on those next steps, the next steps to take. So you can be the person and the parent that God wants you to be. Let's all stand together. You've heard the invitation. Right now, I invite you to come. As you receive Christ, the altar is open. If you'd like to come and pray for anybody in your family, anybody that's either here or not here, and you just want to pour out your heart and just say, God, speak to their heart. Draw them to you to yourself today. The altar is open right now. You come. this way before we close today um, you not have the welcome card in front of you this morning uh, it's in your bulletin I asked you to fill out the front and the reason uh, one of the reasons is because um, if you've made a decision today to follow Jesus on the back of the card uh, maybe you're a little shy about coming forward this morning first trip here maybe to the church but if on the back it says in the upper right hand corner my decision today I, I have decided to surrender my life to Christ to begin a personal relationship with him if you put a little check right there Make sure we get at least enough information to put something at least in the mail to you. Uh, that'll be wonderful and great, and we'll make sure you get the literature you need in order to grow in Christ. If there's another decision you've made, my response to God's word today, put that on there as a prayer request. If there's someone in your family that needs the Lord or needs to come back to the Lord, let's put that on there so you and I can pray together and join together for them. Um, and we want to pray right now for this and for the altar. Father, thank you so much for all that you've given us. And God, we pray that you would come to people's hearts, that you would not allow, they would not allow the word of God just to uh, be taken from their heart. But God, they would receive it. 
Lord, I know that um, all of us go through trials in life. All of us are hurt in life at some time or another. Um, I know there's hurting people here today. And so, Lord, I pray that you would give them hope through this message, knowing, Lord, 